Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. So our scripture for today, um, it's Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. So listen now for a word from God. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. You who want to be reckoned as righteous by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. So I must start this sermon by acknowledging that it is a full-fledged advertisement for our July church book read, Faith After Doubt by Brian McLaren. While I have always been a proponent and advocate for doubt, um, having experienced a lot of it myself, my thoughts about it are nowhere near as articulate or gentle or faith-filled as McLaren's book, so you should read it. Um, My own journey with doubt started in adolescence, as most stories with doubt do. Um, I was like, really? I'm just joking. I was shockingly not a sassy teen. I was also not that calm when the doubts about Christianity started to emerge. I believe it was more panicked. I can't breathe. What if all this is a sham? What if God doesn't love me because I thought all of this was a sham? What if I'm going to hell? What if there is no hell? Panic mode. And my parents, as very pious people, also panicked. (laughs) My mother tried hugs. Um, My father took a very different approach. He tried apologetics with me, gave me a bunch of books, probably where my love of reading comes from. Um, But apologetics is not just a bunch of apologizing. It's usually a written defense of a religion's particular beliefs. It's most popular in modern books like A Case for Christ, but it started with the ancient fathers. There were lots of rumors going around. Christians eat flesh. They drown babies. You get it? So the fathers wrote long speeches to explain these malicious rumors. Good apologetics clarifies beliefs and it corrects misinformation and love. But apologetics can get dangerous when they start to set up the beliefs as the end game, right? As the purpose or the content of the life of faith. In apologetics, beliefs start to be seen as the ultimate concern of faith, even as faith itself. So then doubts are demonized or stuffed away or shamed. Questioning beliefs is then compromising your faith. But the thing about doubts, much like emotions, is if they're not offered airtime, if they're pushed under the surface or belittled or demonized, they will resurface or rot. (laughs) But they certainly don't go away. So the first step in working with your doubts is dealing somewhat with our obsession over beliefs. So we've got a more gentle space to welcome those doubts into. So one helpful metaphor to consider, um, beliefs as milestones or way markers along your life's journey to God. They are signposts that help you love or grow or better understand God. 
And the world around you, as we are very much meaning-making creatures, we need that. We need that help. But where it gets a bit shaky is when beliefs or milestones are mistaken for the destination. When beliefs are seen as the finish line, not like a mile marker on our journey of faith. For example, when we start to think that our beliefs about God are God. So when our beliefs about God are then mistaken for God, God's self. But it's not, right? That's idolatry. They are beliefs. They are thoughts we have in a most literal sense. By definition, they're not reality. So McLaren reminds us that Jesus often took well-established beliefs and thoughts um, in faith traditions, and he turned them on their heads. So he took like ancient, generally accepted beliefs, and then he dared to say, but implying that the conventional belief was only partial or temporary or otherwise insufficient. You have heard it was said, but I tell you, Jesus does this over and over. It's not a bad thing. Faith is a journey through our beliefs, always in search of the best understanding of God, the best articulation of love. Faith expressing itself in love is how the apostle Paul talks about it in our Galatians passage today. He is also struggling with a very specific set of powerful religious beliefs. These ones are about circumcision. From the earliest stories, circumcision has been a sign of men's belonging to God and belonging in community. The belief that circumcision marks men for God was a long-held ritual of faith. In early Christianity, though, Jewish leaders who their whole lives have believed that circumcision is the way to be faithful towards God now have Gentiles entering their religion. Gentiles with their intact penises. So Paul is wondering, is this belief in circumcision central? Do the Gentile men need to circumcise themselves as adults in order to be living for God or believing the right things or being faithful? What Paul does is Paul separates the belief in circumcision from the life of faith for Christians. Instead, he says, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. If the guidepost no longer leads you in love, no longer points toward God, no need to circumcise yourself. Love is what matters. That's the trajectory of faith, and beliefs should be guideposts to that. When they're not, that is where doubt is so helpful. Because if doubts or if beliefs are your milestones or your markers kind of along your journey of faith toward God, instead of being mistakes, doubts are actually your warning signs on that journey, warning us in a couple of very helpful ways. The first, the, the biggest warning sign of doubt that it shows us is that it means growth is coming. Warning, warning. <laughs> I mean, if you start doubting, just know that you are on the verge of learning something new. Tara Brock says that when we feel fear, we can be sure of one thing. We are about to learn something new, probably involving some discomfort, but we're about to grow, to change. The same can be said about doubts. They are not harbingers of lost faith. They are signals that we are about to grow, to learn that our faith is about to be reimagined so that we can probably be more loving or perhaps simply more aligned with reality. Doubts are not mistakes. They're signs of growth. Destabilizing is the start of giving birth to something fresh and new and needed, or even to repentance, right? That faithful act of turning around. 
it starts with that little itch of doubt. So the second kind of warning sign, the warning that doubles or that doubt signals to us is a warning against our proclivity for gatekeeping. When we equate beliefs with faith, we become gatekeepers in our communities, protecting beliefs at all costs, stuffing doubts away, demonizing them, or worse, pushing people away, demonizing those who call the beliefs into question. And this is not new. It's good to remember that the doctrines that we assume have always been held by all Christians everywhere actually took shape through controversy, dispute, and even violence over several centuries. McLaren reminds us of that in his book. Our doubts signal to us that we are probably on the verge of placing our beliefs, our thoughts about God, over the people God created. We're on the verge of pushing others out of community rather than welcoming them in. Or it could signal that we're unfortunately about to be on the receiving end of all of that. That also happens. Our doubts wake us up. The final warning sign that I will mention is that doubts do important ethical work in our life of faith. My whole life, I've been told that doubts were of an intellectual nature. If you think about it enough, you'll figure it out. It's a very internal self-focused dilemma. Doubts are probably led to my love of reading, um, but that's not wholly true. Doubt is as much an ethical matter as it is an intellectual matter. It's as much an ethical matter as it is intellectual. Doubts signal that some amount of harm is happening because of our misplaced beliefs, harm to us or often to marginalized folks. Coming off the heels of Juneteenth, take slavery as an example. Slavery, it could be argued from a biblical perspective, is part of the fabric of God's people. In its ancient form, it's assumed as a normal part of existence in both the Old and New Testament. However, people have very importantly doubted this belief. Faith, working itself out in love, would see the harm it does, how slavery denies the image of God in people, how it enables the rich to exploit the poor. There's a hell of a lot of... Um, in the Bible about how terrible that is, why would it be any different here? So the belief in a system of slavery had to change for people to ethically love God and love their neighbor. And what enabled this change? Doubt. People saying, you've heard it said slavery is okay, but I tell you, absolutely not. There is no way it could be compatible with the life of love God calls us to. McLaren says that only doubt will open a doorway out of hostile orthodoxies, whether they're religious, cultural, economic, or political. Doubts don't threaten faith. They often threaten damaging beliefs and put at risk those who benefit from them. So in many ways, doubt does not build beliefs, but it does build a sustainable faith, a life that is working towards God and towards love. But if doubt is an essential tool on our journey of faith, it is also like beliefs, not something we want to mistake for the destination of faith. Jan Martel in Life of Pi notes, if Christ spent an anguished night in prayer, if he burst out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That surely we are also permitted to doubt. We must move on, but, or, but we must move on. To choose doubt as a philosophy of life is akin to choosing immobility 
as a means of transportation. To choose doubt as a philosophy of life is akin to choosing immobility as a means of transportation. Anyone who has gone through a season of deconstruction knows how hungry you get for anything genuine, anything trustworthy, and of substance that you can hold on to. Doubt helps keep you honest. It keeps you from groupthink, from exploitation and harm, but it doesn't offer you a replacement for faith. It's not supposed to. Like Paul says, faith is our life working in the direction of love. And doubts won't always proactively send you off in that direction. Sometimes they just anchor you down so you can't go anywhere. So to return to faith, to ground yourself again in what is real and good, we often have to make some really intentional efforts. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what McLaren offers as these kind of roadmaps back to faith. McLaren offers different ones. Um, and of course, one of his first ones that he's going to offer are contemplative practices of Christianity because he is buddy buddy with Richard Rohr. Contemplative Christian practices are spiritual practices that shape your consciousness, not through beliefs, but through opening up your beliefs in times of silence and other decentering practices. So they're spiritual practices that don't rely only on our belief, but on encountering God. McLaren also acknowledges that living in faith rather than by beliefs is much easier when you spend more time in nature. Nature is humbling. It generally doesn't give a hoot about your beliefs, and it's the handiwork of the creator, free from our interpretation or our opinions. McLaren also lifts up Howard Thurman's inward commitment to the sound of the genuine as a path toward faith. Thurman was one of the 20th century's greatest theologians. He was a mentor of MLK. The sound of the genuine comes from a famous graduation speech he gave where he doesn't call the graduates to live their lives in these tight, successful scripts people are offering them after graduation. But he calls them into a deep knowing of themselves, inner reflection, a knowing of who God made them to be, and then asks them to listen for resonations of that deep knowing in the world around them. I would offer that the sound of the genuine could be called the spirit in you. The one I remind you each week dwells deep in you. Get to know her on her terms, not necessarily on the terms of a belief system. And finally, community. This one's not surprising at all. McLaren says it's really hard to find an exit ramp from the sometimes bottomless practice of doubt unless you have mentors and community who welcome you into their community and show you how to relativize your relativism and doubt your doubt sometimes. Then a way appears where there appeared to be no way, a way to nurture and embody a new kind of faith that expresses itself in love and not necessarily always in beliefs. Now, McLaren is not arguing that you should stop doubting or even that you should stop believing, right? That's also not what he's arguing. He is arguing that you decentralize doubt or beliefs as your only life jacket. He is saying to lean into a community working together to learn love, express love, and grow in love as the great act of faith, even if your beliefs are up in the air. Despite our beliefs, every time we make space together for faith expressing itself in love, God shows up. 
When we experience a welcoming, unafraid, loving community, our own personal life of faith becomes a bit more possible. Solidarity and shared experiences go such a long way. These are McLaren's offerings for doubters who still want to walk a life of faith, but who need more handholds when the beliefs are in transition. And you, friends out there in the church and beyond, you might have your own great ways of expressing your faith and love that McLaren doesn't engage, right? You probably would add to this list maybe activism, although he does talk about that. <laughs> maybe long, quiet walks, maybe caretaking. God works in so many ways. Love can be found in so many ways. So I'm going to end with one final quotation. Um, from McLaren's book. And it's this, the box of our tradition could never contain all of God. The box of our tradition could never contain all of God. Honestly, that's probably why we often doubt the box. <laughs> but our tradition, he continues, is a starting line, not the finish line. It's a runway from which we launch, but it's not the sky into which we soar. So friends, if you are a doubter, I really do hope that you enjoy living in a world of wonders and not necessarily a world of answers. So amen and amen. And as we uh, finished this service, um, usually I have a standard blessing that I offer people, um, a little Trinitarian one, but this season, or in this session, we offered instead Brian McLaren's uh, Blessing of the Curious, which he has in his book, Faith After Doubt. So that is what I'm going to end this sermon with. Um, blessing of the curious, those who maybe have a few doubts. So, blessed are the curious, for their curiosity honors reality. Blessed are the uncertain, and those with second thoughts, for their minds are still open. Blessed are the wanderers, for they shall find what is wonderful. And blessed are those who question their answers, for their horizons will expand forever. Blessed are those who often feel foolish, for they are wiser than those who always think themselves wise. Blessed are those who are scolded, suspected, labeled heretics by the gatekeepers, for the prophets and mystics were treated the same way by the gatekeepers of their day. Blessed are those who know their unknowing for they shall have the last laugh. Blessed are the perplexed, for they have reached the frontiers of contemplation. Blessed are they who become cynical about their cynicism and suspicious about their suspicion, for they shall enter the second innocence. Blessed are the doubters, for they shall see through fake gods. Blessed are the lovers, for they shall see God everywhere.